oh man, losing is just so great. It's, it's just, how are we going to lose? It's like, but someone has to win, unfortunately. stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl so hey we got connor here we've got ronan hello and we've got sean Hello. and we have sean's newest edition in the background but we can't be guaranteed they'll say hello yeah she's been quiet at the moment she's gnawing on plastic bone thingy so this is sean's new girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) this is sean's new dog who i think we mentioned in the previous podcast she's like three months ball of energy and we're trying to train her in various things and that is going but as well as you'd expect so (laughs) <laughs> she gets like streaks of like ridiculous energy and then she kind of fades out a bit so. obviously that's been what john's been up to for the last while how about yourself ronan uh, i was pretty quiet overall a few more plans for the rest of the month but decided to take a quick quiet for this weekend yeah no i had got the installed the insulation in the in the attic so that's good the man came in to do the more danger the more difficult thing of replacing a radiator in the house today so we've now got the house ready to be warm and because we've got that nice setup we're going to leave and go camping for three days in in the wilds of wicklow we'll see whether or not that's a terrible idea we may come back early well, from it <laughs> as i said to you last week like once you're out in the cold for like a week you'll come back and you'll be like wow this house is so much warmer you'll have recalibrated <laughs> your expectations to the appropriate That's it, level. yeah well, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of turning off turning back on again and we'll fire straight into it carolina have decided they're going to part ways with head coach matt rule after three seasons yeah now Let's be honest, we've not really had a huge amount of positive to say about him on here. It's been three seasons of poor quarterback play, injuries, organizational problems. And look, I suppose there are always excuses. You know, Christian McCaffrey, who's the kind of centerpiece of the offense, wasn't quite there. The quarterbacks have been, been an issue. But look, he's, he's finished with an 11-27 and 27 record at the NFL level. I believe, given the stat, I think he's only won two games where the opponent has scored more than 17 points. So, like, it's not... This has not been a, a, a successful operation underneath his command. Steve Wilkes is going to be making the interim head coach. He's obviously expected to return to college level with lots of landing spots. He was quite successful at the college level. Carolina decided in 2020 to give him a seven-year contract. He still has four years left on that, and I believe they're going to have to pay him about $40 million to have fired him, but I'm sure there'll be some kind of offset language. The thing is, look, it's always it's always better for, for, a, for a team to have paid the head coach this way because at least look that's just money out of the owner's pockets rather than against the salary cap and so that like that that's a positive but yeah this is this has not been a winning turn for carolina they've obviously had a lot of change with the change at, at, at ownership as well as obviously at the coaching and everything this is kind of i suppose they're hoping to turn the corner on what's been a very bad period of transition for the last four or five years essentially since cam left they've just been struggling right as much as look it feels bad to see your man go in the middle of the season it didn't feel like he was taking them anywhere right no it's kind of been a situation with him yeah like he's obviously been a bit unlucky right he's had a lot of injuries to christian mccaffrey kind of the centerpiece of that offense the quarterback position's been a mess you know cycling between teddy bridgewater and cam newton and sam darnold and baker mayfield and none of those have been either good or being at the peak of their powers in the case of Cam Newton. So there were things going against them. But look, this guy was brought in, obviously, with a lot of hype, with that seven-year contract and a lot of expectation. And he failed to really show 
a capacity to turn a difficult situation into at least reasonable looking football. We've seen the top coaches in the league are able to extract decent play, even in the worst case scenarios. You think about like teams like the Baltimore Ravens last year, for example. I think for him overall, yes, tough conditions, lots of extenuating circumstances, but ultimately his record at the NFL level, 11 for 27, speaks for itself. That's a guy who's continuously putting out, you know, bottom five type NFL teams. You know, we've seen a lot of these you know examples of the past of college guys coming with a lot of hype who come with their kind of their their sexy plans and stuff like that and they don't quite translate to the nfl particularly uh, what happens oftentimes is that they start okay and then as the season goes on and teams adjust to whatever they're doing they fail to have a plan b a plan c a plan d in the nfl you need to be continuously evolving and that was not happening but on the offense and the defense although the defense has been mostly decent under snow and it looked it looked it looked better in the most recent game, which I'm sure you'll be talking about rather than we'll be talking about. Yeah, but I suppose you know he was supposed to be an offensive mind. Uh, he brought in you know a, a very highly touted uh, offensive coordinator like a few years ago, and then fired him last year because he felt like he, well, he had to blame someone for it. But like, look, like Matt Rule will be fine. He'll probably be able to find a job at the college level pretty quickly, considering the all the success he had at Baylor before getting hired by the Carolina Panthers. And good news for the Carolina Panthers in terms of money, at least. You know, they have around forty million still owed to Rule, but that will be offset due to the contract. Uh, terminology but I think the big thing for me is that you know we talk about this a lot that you know owners make such a huge difference at the NFL level Tepper at his first go his big swing has been a big miss yeah. and he hasn't shown the capacity to know what he's doing he feels a lot more like Shad Khan right now I think for Carolina look the QB situation is a complete mess they have to sort that out next year but we'll see what they can do from here uh, Steve Wilkes uh, you know given his past experience probably isn't gonna take them anywhere far but you know, I think it would be hard to get much worse than they were where yeah. they have been up to now. I got another string now to the bow of all the Baker Mayfield truthers who can now go have, as he's now had how many different voices in his ear, offensive coordinator, head coaches, because this is just add another one to it. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if this job isn't particularly highly touted. So this is a team who I think definitely think if they have someone in mind, for example, Sean Payton, who's linked with every open job these days, then they would probably be better off making that move sooner rather than later. Because if they get down into a competition with other teams, this yeah. isn't the spot that particularly would uh, light the fire for your, anyone. Your, your, your only problem there is that like you'd have to trade for Sean Payton's rights because I think they still have another year or two in the contract down in Saints. And like, let's be honest, this Carolina team, this roster needs some overhauling, and I don't think they can be affording to give up first round picks to go and. Like, like they need they need a quarterback. They need a quarterback. Nothing on their roster is the answer, and yeah, they need their picks to find that. So I'm not sure trading resources to pick up a, a head coach is the solution. Crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably completely spurious and stupid lawsuits. A pitch invader from Week Four's San Francisco and LA Rams game, who ran onto the pitch with a pink flare and tore around and was knocked down, has now filed a police report against uh, LA Rams linebacker Bobby Wagner oh that must sting fits to hear that because he tackled him and stopped him look Wagner obviously being very dismissive of this the NFL community supports him this is just a fucking moron like you run onto a pitch you're gonna get tackled by someone anyway like this is this is stupid I don't know what what more to say apart from like this is incredibly stupid and it's weird to me that America is so litigious that this is what happens because the thing is I saw it happen and I knew something like this was gonna happen that someone was gonna sue him for it that it's like oh you just shouldn't have bothered getting involved like just let someone else handle it technically he's not suing him yet but i imagine he's probably been advised that he needs to file a police report so as to in the future go on to civil litigation for now this is actually a you know an attempt to create a criminal prosecution against bobby wagner but given as you said the extenuating circumstances and the fact that he was out there and you know bobby wagner like for him yes 
like it looks bad to the average person, but like it's Bobby Wagner with a helmet on, like it's going to hurt and you say, you're going to get tackled anyway. You know, the civil litigation will probably emerge regardless of what the outcome of the police investigation is. Wagner is pretty dismissive of it and is moving on with his life and the NFL community was broadly supportive of what Wagner did because these interruptions are, are more common than we, we necessarily acknowledge because usually the TV broadcast will cut away from the yeah. game if it happens. Yeah, look, this guy is an asshole and hope he gets zero out of this whole situation. Except to go kick in the air. <laughs> I mean, I hope that it leads to maybe if there's a judgment against this guy or he fails in his suit, it will discourage this kind of behavior. Because we are seeing it not only in the NFL, but in loads of other sports as well. There are differences in response. Like I know from soccer, there's a famous incident where Leo Messi was asked to give an autograph in the middle oh, yeah. of a game by a, by a guy who came on the pitch and kind of he did it. But it's like this kind of thing needs to be discouraged. And if it takes something in America like a guy losing with a major loss of him, realizing that if he does go on the field, that means these NFL guys can put their hands on him because now they're basically, there's a legal precedent that they won't get into trouble. It could be interesting in terms of a deterrent. But as you say, America being so litigious, who knows what the verdict will be and it could very well be some sort of, you know, battery charge or some sort of damage in terms of... The the other thing as well is like if the guys you go after them, like, again, this is all just kind of like what ifing, but some of these people just want a bit of attention and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, realistically, some of them might be, oh, wouldn't it be great if, you know, there was a video of me getting tackled by an NFL player? Like, they might actually be in favour of getting that done. Yeah, like, it's just it's just stupid stuff. I don't understand these people and I never will, but I suppose they've probably, he's probably got thousands of Twitter followers now or whatever. We had a trade. We don't actually get trades that often this time of year. Cleveland, after having an absolute mare on defence, I think they allowed nearly 500 yards, have decided to trade a 2024 sixth round for linebacker Dion Jones and a seventh from Atlanta. I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not sure this is gonna fix their problems on defense. Dion Jones is obviously a guy who during like his rookie contract and during the Super Bowl run that Atlanta had was a, mm. a key part of that defense, but has definitely been running at the string for the last two or three seasons and it's not really been the same level he was there. He's only twenty seven, like he's not like a guy who's, you know, over the yeah. hill in terms of age, but I was surprised when I looked up to see how old he was. Like yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. For some reason in my head he was a bit older. But I think it's just because he has fallen off the last two years. And I think was he sitting on injured reserve or something? Yeah, so he was injured reserve pretty much uh up up till recently. Like it's a situation where like the brands lost Anthony Walker to IOR for the season a few weeks ago. They obviously showed pretty bad run defense there, so the the level for what is improvement is, is pretty low. And for a sixth for seventh round pick two yeah, years from now, cheap, that's like. basically nothing. And Atlanta, you know, make another move, kind of moving towards a full rebuild. Although mm. it's kind of weird there, like the coach is there literally a second season and they're doing a rebuild. So it makes sense for Cleveland, I think, just to try him out go through some of the injuries that have hit the league so we'll go kind of some of the larger more kind of season ending or big important player ones so San Francisco quarterback Emmanuel Mosley has done his ACL and likely gone for the season safety Jimmy Ward has broken his hand so he'll miss significant time Nick Bosa has hurt his groin and is now week to week Denver offensive tackle Garrett Bowles has injured his leg and has gone for the season and cornerback Ronald Darby has also gone for the season with an ACL injury uh, Seattle lost running back Rashad Penny to a broken fibula he'll gone for the season and he's uh, Baltimore safety Marcus Williams has injured his risk and is going to miss significant time. And Detroit, Sevion Smith has injured his neck, hospitalized during the game, but released later that day. They have a relatively positive outlook on that one, but still quite a worrying injury. So those are kind of our big ones to have a look at. So where do you want to start on these? Obviously, this is a lot of defensive pieces to be missing for San Francisco, a team who are already kind of on second stringers at a couple of different positions. The defense is really the strength of this team at the moment. So yeah, Bose is probably the best player out of these and with the shortest injury window, but 
I'd actually least worry about that because they have a lot of depth along the defensive line and I can trust that Miko Ryans can create pressure. However, the secondary, you know, which they've slowly built over time into being a pretty good unit overall and had some pretty so had some breakout stars this year. I think losing a veteran safety like Jimmy Ward, losing one of your top cornerbacks in Emmanuel Mosley, who's really grown into himself over the last few seasons, is a major setback. Now, I don't think it's going to turn San Francisco into a terrible team or anything, because they've dealt with significant injuries on the back end of their defense before and managed to hold up, but it's definitely going to lead to some reduction in their play. But, you know, given that they have the capacity to control the clock and control games, that's how they like to play the game, I think they can probably survive that. On the other hand, you look at a team like Denver, they're losing their left tackle, Garrett Bowles, that's an offense which was basically in the shitter already, so yeah. losing your, your franchise left tackle probably isn't going to make that work better. And like Ronald Darby, like he's obviously not a guy who gets a lot of pop, but he's been a veteran cornerback for a bunch of teams over the years. He's been pretty good for Denver, and losing him for the season is obviously big. That defense, which was kind of the thing that led him to having any wins at all, uh, taking a major step down. And Rashad Penny... Like, look, obviously, I'm a Seahawks fan. Probably more opportunities now for Kenneth Walker, the rookie, to take over that backfield. Uh, but Penny, you know, was slow, was showing last week and some early in the game this week that he was back to the form he had late on last week. And it's just another setback for a guy who spent most of his career yeah. um, with these kind of setbacks in the NFL. And Marcus Williams, that's a huge loss for Baltimore. He's basically been a an immediate huge upgrade at the safety position for them. You might see more of the rookie uh, Hamilton instead of him, but he's had some rough outings in his initial yeah. initial go in the NFL. But yeah, that's a huge loss for him as as long as he's out. He, he may be back later in the season, but Baltimore, the defense, they couldn't lose the strengths they have because the rest of the defense yeah. isn't really that good. They're already, they're already down. I think every single week it feels like we've got another starter in Baltimore going down. Other kind of smaller scale injuries, Carolina quarterback Baker Mayfield has injured his foot, so he's week to week. Miami quarterback Teddy Bridgewater had a concussion, so he is now week to week. I mean that they were starting their seventh round rookie. Indianapolis running back name Hines has a concussion, he's week to week. They'll be hoping now that they have Taylor coming back and Edge Quiddy Pay has done his ankle and he's gone for two to four. New Orleans wide receiver Chris Olave has a concussion and he's now week to week. Tyreek Hill, the Miami wide receiver, has injured his foot and he's week to week. James Connor, running back for Arizona, has a rib injury and he is week to week. And Davian Harris, running back for New England, is also week to week with a hamstring injury. So all of these are kind of, you know, smaller scale ones. Carolina, be a question of whether or not it might give an opportunity for Sam Darnold to try and step in. Miami, Obviously, they'd be hoping the Tua might be coming back this week, but it means our quarterback question is kind of larger than it was beforehand. Indy run game questions, but to be honest, Indianapolis are already a hard enough watch. Like the other, the other bits are like offensive weapons where they found ways around it. Like New Orleans figured out that they could just use Taysom Hill. Like <laughs> Miami do have multiple other weapons. James Conner, like Arizona did all right without him in there. And like New England, their run game, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, did pretty well, even with the injury to David Harris. So I think it was like the third stringer anyway. So He was technically the, the 1A of that, but Ramondo Stevenson, all the fantasy hype people are up on him now. I think for me, like some of these, like obviously Baker Mayfield, keep an eye for that, obviously with the new regime. I have no idea where that's going. The the X-rays are apparently negative, so that's why they're pretty positive. He, he can play, but will they play him is another question. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is interesting, and I think these other two are also interesting in terms of concussion, because I think Teddy Bridgewater did pass all of the protocols but for concussion, he... but was not, yeah, had ataxia, basically. So yeah, I, th- I think it was like a head wobble or something that the spotter yeah. saw and they said no we're just not gonna let him in so, so it was the first uh, first time that they've kind of used that new element of the agreed uh, exactly thing. so that that means that meant he had to be taken out of the game what will be interesting is the like now that we have 
more people passing concussion protocols but being kept out of the game because of, I suppose, what were considered up to now unrelated incidents or behaviour, um, how likely is it that these guys then end up playing the next week? Because obviously we, with, with serious with concussions... diagnosed concussions, was it? Yeah, it's it's typically at least one week before they come back, but there's a decent chance Teddy Bridgewater will be back next week. So keep an eye on that just as kind of a meta point about the new concussion protocol, uh, which was formally agreed by the NFL and NFPA coming into this week, uh, week five. There's other bits of news. Blake Bortles confirmed his retirement after eight seasons. Uh, he had an up-and-down career with Jacksonville, mostly made for the memes. Last seen knocking around some practice squads, Green Bay, New Orleans, and stuff like that. Like, not a bad, like, 111 to 75 touchdown interception ratio. He got to the AFC Championship game, which, honestly, I think most people forget that Jacksonville <laughs> were in the AFC Championship game, what, five years ago, was that it? It's 2018, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so Blake Bortles is it. And uh, the other one that was probably more strange, I think everyone ex- <laughs> everyone kind of thought Blake Bortles was already retired, I think. Whereas Cole Beasley, who just recently signed, decided he's going to retire after 11 seasons, deciding that he wanted to play, spend more time with his family after recently being on the Tampa Bay team. I'm not sure if... It's, it's, it's interesting that a, an older an older veteran receiver sitting there watching Tom Brady's marriage fall apart uh, might go, do you know what, it's not worth it. But we'll see. He has over 5,000 yards receiving, 34 touchdowns. Is basically known as a bit of a head case, strong anti-vax views. And I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd say not the most fun person in the world. Although I would say that he was chatting a lot with Tom Brady. I'd say him and him and Tom share a lot of views. I'd say they both have a couple of red hats in their closets that they don't like or aren't told not to bring out in public anymore. But it is kind of a weird one that that he signed and then was you know retired like two weeks later. I mean, there is there has bizarre. to be a story there. Yeah. There has to be a story there. Either he, as you say, he decided that the Tom Brady thing was an object lesson in treat your family right, or. He just didn't, wasn't good enough for the team or Brady said to cut him or something. Yeah. Like, I well, think there's definitely a story that will come out there. there. There's a boring story, which is that week they were down Mike Evans, they were down Chris Godwin, they were down Julio Jones. Russell Gage was the only healthy receiver they had left, so he might have literally just been a fill-in that week. But maybe there was something else going on here. And certainly the fact that he brought up the family situation, no, like, usually that's just a generic thing to say. But yeah, it's kind of hard, as you say, Connor, not to draw some attention to the current uh, marital rumours around uh, Tom Brady. Like, it's, it is it is just like, like you said, it's just the fact that he signed with a new team, went to there played like i just yeah i don't know fair enough and i suppose on that lovely note we'll go and have a look at the games from last week okay so first up we have the chargers at cleveland 30 to 28 this was a game that begged the question which team could fuck up more back and forth la eventually win in a and i must say fair props to you Rodan. you called this 15 minutes from the end in our chat group at the time of I feel like both of these teams have one more choke in them so yeah the Chargers get a field goal the Cleveland interception the LA Chargers lose the ball on downs and decide to go for it on fourth now I'm sure analytics heads will be happy with that it was just the stupidest thing I've seen in quite a while they literally hand the ball back over to Cleveland at a point where they can essentially just make a uh, move it a little bit but like they can just take a take a field goal to try and win it and Browns being the most Browns decide to charger it up themselves and miss the field goal at the tail end it was that, that's why you draft a kick 
kicker, right? <laughs> yeah. In terms of what happened in the game, the Chargers leaned heavily onto the old run game here. Nearly 200 yards and two touchdowns for Eckler. Herbert went 228 and a touchdown. A lot of that to Williams, but like he, he wasn't getting a huge amount that off them. It was mainly, mainly a run-based one. And for the other side, yeah, like Chubb was the engine of the offense. 134 yards and two touchdowns. Brissett actually looked surprisingly good at times in this game. 230 yards, a touchdown interception. There was one particularly nice play where he like kind of broke away from what was almost certainly going to be a surefire sack and got away downfield. I think it came back on a penalty anyway. It was a lot more mobility than I've ever associated Jake Brisket with, but he did throw an interception at a really, really bad time. I was hearing somewhere that, like, he's done pretty well this year. Like, he's only thrown, like, three interceptions, but every time he has, it's basically lost them the game. So he really picks his time to do it. They missed two field goals, which is the thing. Cleveland should have had this game, but they didn't because of the special teams issue. They shouldn't have had a shot at that second one because that was the Chargers literally trying to choke a game away almost intentionally. I come away from this game thinking Cleveland are probably going to be relevant by the time their highly paid quarterback comes back off suspension. And I look at this game and I think, my God, the Chargers really are just going to fuck up the entirety of Justin Herbert's career, aren't they? Chargers got a charge, you know. It, it, it's weird. Came into this season, you know, Big hype, lots of new pieces coming together. It looked like they were taking a step up in the first few weeks. It definitely looked like a new team, but I mean, it's the same Chargers team, right? It's problems we've been seeing from this team for a while now. Their, their run defense, they gave up the 200 yards rushing to the Browns here, which is, which is, that's last season Chargers defense, you know, and they're, they'll, they'll talk about the fourth down failure and the, the focus on that, but the Chargers, I mean, there's a problem they have is they continue to get into fourth downs because they're really bad at third downs. I talked about this, I think, a few <laughs> weeks ago with the, the Chiefs game. They were, they were three out of 10 in third down conversion this game. They're, I looked it up. They're 18th for the season overall in terms of third down conversion, which puts them down with the mediocre offenses, the Vegas, the Jets, Washington, yeah. or the teams around them, which I mean, they should be by the quality of their offense. They should be top 10, top five, whatever. But they're, whatever it is, their third down plays that they're running the wrong plays and they're not executing it properly. That gets them stuck in these stupid fourth down situations and because Brandon Staley takes these risks because that's who he is naturally and you could talk about the analytics etc cetera, etc cetera, this is what happens you end up with these kind of situations that sometimes happen so it's really feels like back to square one for the charges in terms of same old vulnerabilities same old chargers and yeah Justin Herbert looks really cool and all but you still need to have both sides of the ball executing to win games it's going to be interesting to see if they do start because they do have the talent and maybe it's some of the key issues that they're facing or whatever it will be interesting to see if they can get that week one, week two dynamism back because they look really good at the start of the season. It's kind of fallen away. For the Browns, I mean, the Browns feel like they've taken a step back, even though, yes, they'll be competitive. And I'll agree with you. Watson's going to be stepping into a potential playoff team when he comes back. But last season, they were all about the defense. And now their defense just seems to have completely fallen apart. Eckler could crush them on the ground here. Yeah. Their, their run defense, I think they're like bottom five or something close to that in terms of the stats they're in. So they're looking quite vulnerable on that side of the ball, which was the big thing that they had going for them. And perversely, they look a little bit better offensively with, with, with Brisket involved. As you say, he's settling into the role, nice range of passes, but that big interception crushed them. You do wonder if he's, he's not a crunch time player. As you say, he's, all the interceptions are badly timed. I think you wonder if it's when the chips are down, they quite lose. Because they're losing close games. I think they've lost by a total mm -hmm. of six points over the three games that they've lost, which kind of shows that they're a team that can't really hold on to the end. We think about the Jets' comeback, et cetera. Et cetera. It's a team that has that fucked up a lot of 
kind of end game scenarios. Both sides look quite vulnerable. Charges maybe not as good as we thought at the start of the season. Browns maybe better than we thought. Both teams will probably be on the bubble. Maybe the charge is a little bit above it. But yeah, until they fix these fundamental deficiencies, these teams aren't really going anywhere good. Fitz, just to your, to your kind of like them both messing up and not wanting to win. There's a fun stat that ESPN had up today. And it's uh, the Chargers are 2-14 and 14 in games where they trailed by at least 14 points. The two wins are against the Browns and their own 14 against every other team who they've fallen to touch downs behind so somehow the browns do outcharge the chargers well it's the unstoppable force versus the immovable object right in a <laughs> in a choke off ending where both teams are like oh man losing is just so great it's, it's just, how are we gonna lose it's like but someone has to win unfortunately and for the chargers despite their you know whole 11 percent advantage by uh, going for a fourth down they managed to survive thanks to kate york which as i alluded to uh you know this is why you draft a kicker apparently is to uh, <laughs> miss game-winning field goals at the end of the day and obviously a field goal earlier on that was ended up being pretty costly I, you know i think for me the big thing for the chargers like yesterday the, the defense is bad again and the fourth down thing it kind of feels like the analytics mafia must have come come for brand Staley after the Chiefs game where he was playing pretty conservative go hey you 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 have to play with the analytics you're not allowed to just kick it on fourth down anymore positive for them is the last two weeks Austin Eckler has become central to their game plan and looks like Austin Eckler last year where he led the, he led the league in, in touchdowns so I think if you have Eckler there working well Williams is working well and then you know potentially you might have uh, uh, Keenan Allen, Allen come back, back who <laughs> by the way was not very happy with the oh, yeah, he was, call. He, he was <laughs> tweeting about the call. Like, oh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. Whenever you're off injured, you should like be tweeting and telling your coach off like during a game. Yeah, and and like, look, like, does that mean the Chargers are going to be good? I have no idea, but does it make them the fun, stupid team they were last year, rather than the kind of kind of sad sack team we saw early on the season? Yeah, I think they're back to being the crazy Chargers that we all know and love, and uh, long may it continue. Next up, we're going to travel over to London and have a look at the New York Giants taking on the Green Bay Packers. This ended up 27-22 to in a result that nobody called. New York Giants go 4-1 and as they overcome a 17-3 to halftime deficit. Danny Dimes came out firing in the second half. He totaled kind of 244 yards. Saquon went over 100 and a touchdown, and they just powered through with their defense doing a cracking job. They didn't allow any points in the second half. Rodgers had a strong first half and looked like he was coasting 222 and two touchdowns and just kind of tailed off entirely 13 yards is their longest play there like it just didn't seem like it was going to be working at all for them at that point once the defense started to, to hone in on them and you do start to wonder yes everyone is going to hurt whenever you're missing a big wide receiver piece like like they are with Devontae Adams going but like is it a comfort thing that he doesn't trust any of the other guys forward is it they're missing the specific skill set that he wants for that kind of go-to receiver because like it's so weird to me that it was that removable that like the the second half they were just able to erase whatever they were doing in the first half and and, and cover it off entirely it baffles me like it's great it's great for the giants the giants looking well the defense playing well like real as you say kind of gritty kind of playing but like it just it does worry me a bit to see how I suppose shut downable this Green Bay offense appears to be that they had no response and no no ability to change around stuff in the second half. Even though like it's not like this is an untalented team. Yeah, it just it, it struck me as weird that you had such a chalk and cheese first and second half here. The big thing for them is that I, I don't think they have guys right now, at least in their wide receiver core and tight ends, I suppose, who can beat man coverage, right? So what you saw in the second half was the Giants came out man-to-man, you know, press kind of coverage, which not only... 
you know, made it difficult for them to win one-on-one, but also meant that a lot of the screen and short game that Rodgers had relied on early on was taken away. He doesn't have someone like, say, Debo Samuel that the 49ers have, that if you just get into their hand at the right time, they can take for a touchdown on behalf of you. Maybe, like, to a certain sense, Aaron Jones has been the closest thing to add to them, but he's a running back. Ultimately, a running back, you know, can only get into so involved in so many route concepts, both, you know, through the way the game is played and just through the kind of skill set that, like, a running back is going to have compared to a, a Debo Samuel. So I do think there's definitely big schematic problems to sort out for this Green Bay team. You know, I think what we've seen in multiple weeks now is that they start fast. The the head coach schemes up something really good. LaFleur, like, knows what he's the doing. The bearded boy. But the, then as the game goes on and it becomes more obvious what they're doing, other teams key in and they don't have a plan B. They don't have a plan C and they don't have, like, a plan just throw to Devontae Adams because he wins in one-on-one and there's nothing they can do about it. So then in those cases, you see Rodgers get frustrated. Now, the offensive line has a few injuries. So, you know, it's not quite where they want. They had some weird thing where back to carry was being like brought in and out of the lineup during the game so that's obviously not ideal but overall the offense does look a little incoherent i think like just ultimately they're an offense that probably needs to somewhat be get more down back to basics you know run the ball more effectively the thing that i don't think they're going to become an explosive offense except through weeks of building up that building up those relationships with the wide receivers getting that done that way as i said to you but last week i do think they're kind of like in that early new england scenario when they had tom brady back in the day where it takes time for these kind of pieces to all come together but i do I do have some faith still that they could figure this out. But right now, the Giants did a really good job of taking advantage of what they were given, which is a Green Bay team that wasn't able to score points in the second half. The only points they got was like a safety at the end, which was just for technical run at the clock reasons. And the Giants, like, look, fair play to Danny Dimes. Like, when this game was in the balance, uh, Saquon Barkley picked up a shoulder injury, which he came back from, to be fair to Saquon, he came back and, and played late on. But Danny Dimes stepped up, played well, got Matt Breen involved, got all these kind of random assortment of receivers like Darius Slayton's back I suppose that's nice but like Marcus Johnson Daniel Bellinger tight end Richie James David Sills the fifth like I don't know who all the other David Sills were but like I haven't heard them before you know he's working what he has and like you see that Daniel Jones is a threat with his legs Daniel Jones works well if you give him a first read off play action and you know I think the big thing is that Brian Dayball knows what he has he's using it effectively and he's slowly building this guy up I don't know if he's still going to be a franchise quarterback but I think in this offense he's not expected to be because Saquon Barkley is so much of an engine for the entire thing to go and the defense is slowly but surely seeming to come together into a unit that could definitely be a factor coming down the line so I think for Green Bay definitely some concerns there about the offense but I do think that they can figure it out over time it's just different from when you have Devontae Adams and it works from week one but for the Giants a gritty win playing through injuries, forcing the issue and showing, you know, all the jokes we made of them being like, you know, so highly and high in terms of the standings, maybe wasn't this justified and four and one, maybe it's a little bit high for them, but maybe they're not quite the joke we thought they might be this year. They're not a four and one team, sure, but they are. I mean, the fans, firstly, well, <laughs> there, there are four and one teams, in quotation mark, and there are four <laughs> and one teams. They're, they're a well-coached team. They really good game management. They really control the clock in the second half, I thought quite well. I think the, the pack has only got two drives in the entire second half because of the, the control of the, the Giants and the clock. Defense has lots of good pressures. I mean, the Kayvon Thibodeau looks like he could be a real star for them. They're not doing anything too fancy on offense. They've got Saquon. Not exactly getting huge numbers, but running some big plays. The the running game becomes the bread and butter. And then as long as any time to avoid mistakes, he's an asset. You know, this team is, they're making the most of what they have. And next week when they face the Ravens, it's going to be really interesting to see if they if they can compete at that level. Because they do seem to have a game plan and they do know how to execute it and all the parts seem to know what they're doing. And that can carry you quite far in the NFL if you if you keep consistent with that. 
in terms of the Packers, I mean, we could talk about the schemes and we can talk about the execution. For me, it's the soft underbelly. We talked about this for the last few years on this podcast about the Packers. Once you punch them in the mouth and you give them a challenge, this Packers team seems to fold rather than stand up. You can translate that into maybe this is why this team isn't winning big playoff games isn't going and winning Super Bowls is because no matter how much talent they have, if they get into a, a scrap and they have to grind out a game, we find they can't do. And this is what happened in this game is that second half, the Giants made some adjustments, went for them, and the Packers were like, either they they didn't have the answers or they just didn't have the cojones or, or just the willingness to gut it out. Part of that is, is Rodgers, you know, not trusting his wide receivers or not having that explosive option to Adams. Part of it is Alan Lazard not doing more. But it's also the fact that the run game, which has been the, more, the most potent part of this offense, just was reasonably quiet. Partly this defense, which is quite talented, just isn't executing. There are a number of problems this Packers team has that I think the Rodgers-Adam connection allowed them to, to, to kind of paper over in the regular season for a few years. And now without that safety blanket, we're starting to see where the cracks are. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can fix it. Does Rodgers want to be in this situation at this stage of his career, you know, bringing a, yeah. a bunch of new rookie wide receivers together? I don't think this is the, what he wants to be doing. I don't think he has the, the Tom Brady, look, I will do it this all myself if I have to. I will knit this team together if that's what it takes. I don't think Rodgers has that kind of mentality. And it's going to be interesting to see if this team, I mean, they'll probably make the playoffs or whatever, but what happens then when they get into a situation where a team fights them? Because this team needs to have something, needs to fight back once teams fight against them or they're they're never going to win anything. Uh, actually, it is interesting to see. There are a lot of rumors doing the rounds that Rodgers is contemplating the retirement eat stuff and or, or possibly, you know, a Tom Brady ditch, go somewhere with a ready-made team and kind of fire on. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that might look like. Next up, Philly at Arizona, 20-17. to this was, I think, it's safe to say a lot more of a close game than any of us would have expected going into it. Kyder had a, now some people would say it's a brain fart type thing of he spiked the ball and left them on a fourth down. From what I understand, I believe in the stadium, on the screens, they were displaying that he had made it to the first down. So he probably thought that was the case. Now, look, it still doesn't matter because he should have known better. He was he, he ran on the play beforehand and dived. So like he should have, or sorry, rather didn't dive, slid too early. But like he should have known that he hadn't made it at that point. But yeah, he went for 292 yards, touchdown and interception. Why? Why in the love of Christ, out of all of the possible kickers you could pick up, would you decide the one who fucked the Chiefs over already and they caught him immediately? Why him and not Rodrigo Blankenship? Why not anyone else that's out there? Yes, they, they, they kind of lost on the, on that kick as well. But like, it was a good comeback. They were 14 to nothing down early on. Philly looked okay. They looked like they were up against a much tougher team than we've seen Arizona be this year. They got, you know, Hertz was good, 300 yards, I think two rushing touchdowns. But yeah, like they didn't really do much in the second half. The defense was fine, but like they were, they were gassed. They were on the field for ages. This was a very uninspiring Philadelphia performance from what I saw on it. And yeah, like brain farts from, from, from Carter Murray stopped them either taking a shot at winning it or tying it up. But like, if I was to look at this, I would take more heart from the Giants' performance against Green Bay than I would against, against against Arizona. Not that I think they're the same level of team at the moment, but like this downgraded Philadelphia in my head rather than brought them up. It's kind of a weird game, right? Like, I think it's definitely fair to say that Philly have come down in people's estimation. They've always come off being a, the hype that's been building for multiple weeks now, and then suddenly they 
they look kind of bad against a team that you know has been very questionable throughout this season albeit looked a little bit better in recent weeks but I think overall I think I'm not too concerned. I think this is a situation where the arrows on a defense has many defects, but one thing it has shown itself to be effective against is against the run game. And I think if you take away the run game from Philly, they're not quite the same, you know, overwhelming engine on the offense that they would be otherwise. I think it's, you know, you kind of saw early on the run game wasn't kind of working, but Hurts was able to get outside the pocket and he was able to make some plays that way and it seemed to be working and then it just kind of stopped. But I suppose like Arizona defense out of anyone is probably used to how do we stop out of, you know, system <laughs> quarterback action considering who they did like they practice against every single week in in, in in Kyler Murray I think it's definitely a little bit of a knock against them but I think you know the sign of championship teams is that they win when they may not necessarily deserve to win and you know they went up 14-0 they got enough points and did enough in the second half to get the job done and yeah like I think this is one of those ones they're away from home they got the win they, they'll move on we'll see against bigger teams for example uh, their division rivals next week whether the, the hype is warranted or not I think one thing to notice I think for Arizona and it's an incredibly mixed game. I think what you saw over the last few weeks, and it continued definitely in this game, is that they're slowly morphing this offense into a kind of unusual possession-based offense instead of the kind of explosive Kyler Murray do bullshit offense that they used to have. They're getting Marquise Brown a lot of the ball in short situations, and he had a nice touchdown early in this game where he basically juked out uh, two different defenders to get a touchdown for Kyler Murray, more or less. And it's kind of unusual to see, right? Like, we, we consider Marquise Brown to be an explosive downfield threat. He's been treated more like Debo Samuel at the moment and they're getting Rondale Moore involved more in that way and Zach Ertz has been very involved and of course we're all waiting uh, in two weeks to see what happens when Dondre Hopkins come back and they have that more I suppose 50-50 deep ball element back and whether that can balance things out but I think for overall for Arizona I think it's progress I think at least it looks like in the last few weeks that they have an offensive plan that they're willing to execute it and they're able to move the ball somewhat consistently like 17 points isn't a lot of points but at least it was done in a way that feels sustainable and if you're able to punish teams using this type of system then you imagine that the opportunities down the field will re-emerge as teams have to start to respect that aspect of their game plan James Conner obviously was hurt in this game you know yeah. Benjamin filled in pretty well but the run game mostly wins from the fact that you know there's so many threats from the past game and for Kyler Murray running that the run game is mostly I imagine will be okay you know all those positive points and yet at the end of the day you know well certainly part of the reason they lost is a they the fourth down spike obviously not having great situation awareness from Kyler like Kyler's obviously such an amazing quarterback but he's never going to be like you know uh, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning who has complete mastery of the entire offense and the situational awareness and then obviously relying on a, a quicker like Amandola who I know you were uh, always uh, very a fan of when he was at Kansas City briefly and he's managed to lose another team a game here and so overall I think for Arizona positives to take away from here but ultimately you lost the game at home you had a chance to get a scalp here so overall you kind of have to you know pick your tails tail between your legs and hopefully get there but in a NFC, that's so wide open. Uh, they're certainly still with a shot in the playoffs. Next up, Cincinnati at Baltimore, 17-19. to This is very much a bar fighty type AFC North old school special. Baltimore get the win thanks to Justin Tucker, who was 4-4 on the night. And Baltimore defense looked very, very strong. So they were, I think, interception, three sacks, five tackles for a loss, only allowing about 300 yards. There was one in particular where they just absolutely... Like, Taps just ran essentially completely unblocked through the middle of the offensive line and got Joe Burrow. I would I would be thinking about reinvesting even further in the offensive line if I was them because that did not go great. Lamar 
232 yards, touchdown interception, missed a couple of deep ones, was going to the old reliables, hitting Andrews for a touchdown. He it was also constantly, it was like pretty much everything was either Andrews or, or, or Devin Duvernay was what the names you just kept hearing called. Bro had 217 yards, a touchdown and interception. He tried to get the ball into Chase a little bit more, but like the coverage was good. So Chase has held about 50 yards. The big problem that I saw from them was Cincinnati were getting way too cute with some of the play calls here towards the tail end. They attempted a fourth down shovel pass to a tight end that hadn't turned around yet, which like it's not the world's most difficult structure to get because you can fucking see it. So I don't know why he threw it. And then they went for a Philly special where rather than even throw it away, the, the wide receiver kind of tucked it and just took a hit 10 yards in the backfield instead of like trying to run around or just throw it away or do something with it. Yeah, it was a very scrappy from both sides. And I get that that's kind of quite often what these are. But like, yeah, like Baltimore were really able to, to bring the pressure kind of abuse that O-line and make Cincinnati make terrible decisions because this is a game that when you look at where they messed up and where they made stupid play calls, this is a very much a game they could have won. It's your classic AFC North game. We saw an awful lot of these last year where we're two teams who know each other very well. I mean, I think they're two very good teams. And I thought this was... the. Both teams played reasonably well, not fantastic, as you said, but I think that both teams played at a reasonable level. The problem was the team they were facing knew them very well and knew their weaknesses, and there was there was a lot of kind of probing back and forth, and it just kind of turned into a bit of a fight. And this is what maybe what we love about the, the AFC North is they have, there are like four teams that can get into these kind of scraps and get it going, and ultimately the Ravens had, had just enough. But the Bengals could have won, and I think they are in a better, I mean, the 0-2 start maybe was a bit, kind of shook people up a bit, but I do think they're getting into their groove a little bit. They could have won this game against a quite a good team had they executed, as you said, in certain instances. The O-line weaknesses, which they'd kind of been able to seemingly start to overcome, have kind of become visible again. You'd worry about that. That is obviously that the big problem that they have. The Burrow chase thing wasn't quite as explosive as it needs to be. You wonder if teams are starting to figure that out a little bit and they need to find new ways of getting things going. And maybe that's what some of the trick plays were about, trying to find new ways to attack new kinds of offensive approaches. They're not last year's Bengals. They're not quite, I don't think of them as Super Bowl contenders. They're, they might, they could be a wildcard team if things start to click, but I do think they're quite a good team and they still have a lot of talent there. Um, it's just a matter of, of making all the, all the pieces click together. In terms of the Ravens, it's important to keep in mind who they're, they're playing against. I mean, this is a team that has, has basically should have won all five games. They should be five and oh. They've blown two big games and here they were kind of failing to, to beat a Bengals side who nonetheless were making mistakes and they, and they grinded it out. And this is something that we, we maybe haven't seen from the Ravens when they, when they needed to earlier in the season that the, this ability to grind out games to get the win when it was necessary. Things that I liked about them, they, they got 150 yards on the ground against what is quite a good run defense. And they, you know, various different parts of that, of that from Lamar to the, the various running backs all kind of came together. Their passing game is expanding. It's not just Andrews. Def, Duvernay may not add great numbers, but he gives them explosiveness. Every time Duvernay gets the ball, you feel like something exciting is going to happen. He's maybe not Debo Samuel le- le- level yet, but he's definitely working on on turning into something uh, quite good. Lamar didn't quite have the MVP type game that we've seen him so far, but when the winning, the very drive at the end, when he needed to get down the field for that winning field goal, he came with some big, with some big runs and, and big passes. So it kind of feels like this team is, has taken a few punches and is starting now to learn how to how to punch back and beginning to, to realize their own toughness. 
It'll be interesting to see if they can kind of go on a bit of run. The defense is getting into a gear. I think they're overcoming their injuries, starting to click once again. Marcus Peters, I thought, was quite good in this one. So I'm, into, I, I'm, I'm upbeat about both these teams in ways, for example, I'm not about, about teams uh, like the Packers, for instance, or the Chargers, that, that I, I see two very good teams here who are going to do quite well. And just so happened, one team had to win and one team had to lose. I would still, I think the Ravens probably are favorites to win their division now. I, I think this puts them in a good spot to do that. But definitely the Bengals are a, a playoff team, maybe not necessarily a Super Bowl team this year, but they're definitely our playoff team. So it's two good teams fighting a hard-fought game and one team had to win. And ultimately, I think the Ravens deserved it. Next up, Chicago at Minnesota, 22-29. to This was a big... Come back for Chicago. They were coming close. Uh, it was twenty-one to three early on, but they were able to fight their way back. Unfortunately, a strip by Dantzler kind of ended that hope. Fields at two hundred and eight yards, a touchdown, and he got a bit on the ground, about half a buck, I think. Find his feet to kind of help exploit some mistakes. Feet, like Minnesota were a bit sloppy, two missed field goals. They had an interception that was quite frankly quite a bad interception. Cousins did a very traditional Kirk Cousins stat line: two hundred ninety-six yards. A touchdown and an interception. I always think of that like just around the 280 to, to 300 mark. Like and a, a one-to-one touchdown to interception ratio is pretty much what I always have in my head as a Kirk Cousins line. They got Jefferson working again, 177 yards. And Cook had a hell of a day, 121 and two touchdowns. So like they started very, very, very hot. Like, like I said, they were up 21 to three. And then they just completely took their foot off the break. Only scored eight points in the rest of the game. Like it was... It was a little bit scrappy from them, to be honest. I suppose this is the thing of maybe maybe the scoreline flatters it a little bit. Like they were up by so much that they kind of just took the foot off the gas and then had to re re like put the foot back on the gas later on just to ensure that it was all shut down properly. But like it feels like Chicago had a shot here on the comeback, but like I'm not sure if they were ever really in the same ballpark. Like I think this Minnesota team is a step beyond them. Yeah, I think what you wanted to see from Minnesota against the Chicago team that has so many deficits and so many defects is to take care of them easily and just show that you're now top dog in the division or at least joint top with the Green Bay Packers. And they kind of failed to do that. Like they started really well. Dalvin Cook got two early touchdowns. Cousins was dealing the ball really well. Justin Jefferson to be opened at will. They seem to have the game in hand at 21 to 3. But then just for the middle part of this game, they just kept on making, you know, screw up after screw up. As you mentioned, they had two midfield goals. There's a bad interception from Cousins. And they just let Chicago hang around enough to be a factor in this game. So, you know, to be fair, like when the chips were down and Chicago were well back into the game, they were able to put together like a seven minute, 75 yard touchdown drive, take back the lead after Chicago were temporarily one point up. So, you know, you kind of saw that maybe they had a little bit extra gas. They were just kind of taking things a little bit too easily, but that when the chips were down, they were able to get back in there and that the atmosphere around this team isn't quite the same, you know, completely implode when things get slightly arduous. They were in the later Mike Zimmer years. I think for Chicago, look, I think the run game did work in this game, so they at least were able to add a somewhat consistent explosive play element. Uh, Darnell Mooney had a really nice big play early on. Dave Montgomery had some good play in the, uh, some good action in the pass game at the running back position. So I think you're starting to see at least the introduction of other elements that aren't just running the ball with Khalil Herbert or Dave Montgomery. And I think at least that's something that shows that this team isn't just going to be the terrible team they were for the first couple of weeks. I know they won in week one, but they were absolutely terrible in offense that game, and it was because of the rain mostly. So I think for Chicago, yes, the offense is still bad, but at least I'm seeing progress 
we'll see if that can build week on week or if this is just a Philip uh, on one his other eye is going to be just a terrible offense overall. But yeah, more Darnell Mooney, more Kokomet, at least embers of hope there. And their defense, while beaten up terribly in the in the beginning of this game, did stiffen up a little bit. So look, I don't think Chicago are going to turn out to be like a playoff relevant team. But I think for a team, given where they were at the beginning of the year, if they could just stick around, maybe get too close to seven or so wins, they'll probably be happy enough. For Minnesota... A bit of a fright here. Maybe, you know, keep people, you know, on their toes going forward. But they get the 4-1. and one. They're in full control of the NFC North. And, you know, I think they're due a little bit of respect here. But, uh, you know, if they take care of this game a little bit easier, maybe maybe people would be a bit more willing to invest in them. Miami at the Jets. Han, New York. What a time to be a New Yorker. I think it's something like 10 years since both teams were over 500. So here we go. 17-40. to 40, The New York Jets absolutely wipe Miami. They dominated particularly in the fourth quarter. It was kind of a coming out party for a lump of the rookies so Hall went for 197 yards and a touchdown he also had two touchdowns stolen by Carter by them finishing up at the one yard and then kind of having him running in but like it's still a hell of a performance from it uh, Sauce Gardner looked great he had an interception there they held Hill and Waddle to sub 50 yards like it was a very very strong performance from the defense I will caveat this with the fact that this was a game where it started out with Teddy Bridgewater, who I am very vocal on not really thinking is all that good anyway to start with. And he got knocked out of this game early on with a concussion and they had to bring in Skylar Thompson, who I believe is their seventh round rookie. So he kind of had 166 yards, an interception and a fumble. So like, you know, it, it, it is caveated with this was against a third string quarterback for the most part. They got good performance on the ground, though. They had over 100 for Mozart, and he had a touchdown as well. But this is the first time you're starting to see like some of the some of the plan and some of the long term kind of say general manager matching with the coach stuff working of like it was rookie wide receivers rookie running backs rookie cornerbacks that were kind of putting in the the big performances here and like i said basically we're seeing that as long as he's not making too much mistakes they're like wilson is a fine does the job for you if you have if you have if you have a a running game that has the kind of level of performance that they showed here then you don't need an a1 quarterback and you can take some of the pressure off him as well for miami this was a bit of a collapse but again like i said every time that you're down to a third string quarterback there's an asterisk beside it let's let's not go overboard with the asterisks i mean yeah third string quarterback well firstly concussion karma you know you're the ones who started this problem <laughs> by with your approach to Tua. so it is kind of appropriate that the dolphins are the first team to suffer from the, the new protocol coming into play but i mean you talk about them having a third string quarterback but it's the defense that went missing here i mean who gives up 40 points to the new york jets not a whole lot of teams i mean the defense needed to step up once the off i mean they scored 17 points which you know, should make them a little bit competitive against the Jets, but they got blown out here be, because if, the if, defense... if they've scored 17 points, they are winning 95% of their matches if it's the Panthers that they're playing against. So. To me, it's if you if you give... We should be focusing on the 40 and not necessarily on, on the other side of this. But for the Jets, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, really interesting. It's starting to come together, you feel. I mean, they're probably still a, a few years away from being a really good team, but the, the rookies are coming together. Sauce Gardner is a superstar in the making. Brees Hall had a monster game, almost 200 yards. Got Garrett Wilson in the wide receiver. They, they've got a, a decent, if not spectacular, young QB. So it, it kind of feels like it's come together. Definitely feels like this is a team that fights for their coach. I've talked about this already, that they they never give up on games. They finish quite strongly. I mean, we saw them have two big comebacks already this season. And now this, with the 21-point fourth quarter, where they just blew the Dolphins to pieces. 
I mean, that's all speaks to mentality. That all speaks to to being willing to to work hard at what they're doing. They're very impressed. Like red zone conversion rate, they scored five touchdowns from six red zone trips. The defense gets progressively better every game, and the the mistakes which cost them earlier begin to be filtered out. Some very big kind of plays on the defensive end here. So yeah, if you're the Jets, I mean, if you're a Jets fan, it's it's all coming together quite nicely. And it's going to be interesting to see they're three and two. You know, there's nothing to say that this team can't finish with a winning record the way things are going. It's an exciting time to be a New York uh, football fan, not necessarily in any other sport, because uh, the, the baseball teams uh, are not great at the moment and the basketball team isn't either. But if you're a New York football fan, things are really starting to come together. And, I, and if I had to compare the Giants and Jets, I think I'd much rather to be in the Jets position than the Giants. Because the Giants, it's, you can't quite put your finger on what's really going well, aside from, you know, good coaching and game management. But here, you can point to the players that are going to be your superstars. You can say, these guys are going to be really good. If you, Some of them are already really good, but they're going to be really, really good in, in two or three years' time. So it's really coming together for the Jets. I'm very happy with them. For the Dolphins, I mean, the, the hype is beginning to evaporate. And it's it's important, I think, to focus on the fact that this isn't just that the offense went missing for one game because they had the third-string quarterback in. This defense needs to get better and needs to not have games like this again if they want to, to, to live up to the potential for what the season could be because – it's not a good look being blown up by the Jets, no matter how exciting the, the, the Jets team we're looking at. There's still a, a bunch of young kids who are still learning the game, and to give up 40 points to them is is, is an embarrassment, to be quite frank. It was, you're right, it, it was a bad performance from their defense, but to be honest, it's also just like, well done the Jets, it's always good to see them do well. I think they're kind of taking over the Browns lovable little rascals kind of vibe that the Browns definitely do not have anymore. As you said, all games are important, but some are less important than others. And those are the ones that we leave to Ronan. So Ronan, uh, take us on the dump off. But before we get to the dump off, let's deal with Monday Night Football. We recorded this week's podcast a little bit early because Connor had to go into the Wicklow Woods. Uh, hopefully he hasn't been killed by a rabbit pine marten. And so this recording is happening a little bit in the future of the recording of the rest of this podcast, but presumably still in the past for you. Otherwise, this podcast has done some primer shit that uh, we'll hopefully all just ignore for the good of the timeline. So Monday Night Football, an absolute feast of football here. A very close win for the Kansas City Chiefs over their major AFC West rival, the Las Vegas Raiders, 30-29. to A game marred by numerous controversies by excellent play by another big Kansas City comeback and one which I'm sure Connor will be happy to talk about more next week if we have the time. Uh, we probably won't because these have uh, said to take a little bit of time but overall a really great game. So what happened in this game? Firstly Las Vegas come out lights out. They had a really good relationship there with Josh Jacobs running the ball really effectively. He ended up uh, with over 100 yards in this game. Devontae Adams had over 100 yards in this game and both those guys were just absolutely beating the ass of the Kansas City defense. Uh, I think the emergence of Jacobs as the kind of Orby one here is a bit surprising uh, to some but he looks like the rookie sensation that he was and he's making big chunk plays with the McDaniels power run game at full flow uh, obviously inherited from New England back in the day and Adams you know finally had another great game here he's been very up and down this season uh, but you think about like some of the big plays he had particularly in, in fourth and short where he took it for a touchdown when they when they took the big choice they made the big play and it worked out there unfortunately uh, at the end of the game things would start to tail off he wouldn't make the big plays when it mattered at the end because you know the Chiefs 
it looked like for a moment after they scored uh, their last touchdown and Las Vegas giving back the ball that they were going to salt this game away. But they did give the Raiders one last chance. But on their final drive, the Raiders got into third and short. It just didn't quite work out. In particular, on the last play of this game for the Raiders, you know, uh, Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro bumped into each other. And then uh, Devontae Adams uh, happened to bump into photography on the way out of this game, uh, which he may be into some legal troubles to go with. I think overall for the Raiders, I think, you know, given that they started with those several losses in a row to have a big performance like this against a, a team like Kansas City that we think is a major AFC competitor has to be positive but you know when you're facing up against Mahomes who is the magician of all magicians a 17 point lead isn't going to be enough and you have to keep the pedal to the metal and the Raiders weren't quite able to do that in this game so I think the big thing for the, the Chiefs obviously is that we see once again that when you have Mahomes anything is possible he spread the ball around in this game he wasn't focusing on any particular weapon except for Travis Kelsey in the in the red zone where he had uh, a ridiculous four touchdowns and around 30 yards which I believe is a record for that many touchdowns um, in that amount of yardage so that was working really well the run game was working though surprisingly it went through Jarek McKinnon um, and like look there was other controversies for the Chiefs like I think there was definitely a situation here in the first half where there was a kind of another bullshit roughing the passer call which uh, as I allude to in a moment also happened in the Tampa Bay game uh, to help save Tom Brady and I think the crowd definitely noticed and the crowd was definitely not happy and because of that some of the later decisions that were made in the second half may have been a little bit skewed uh, towards uh, the Chiefs. I think you know overall most of them were correct but there was a few flags and and you know that catch by Devontae Adams that could have been on third down on their final drive like I think overall I don't think it was a catch but you know it certainly didn't help that the uh, the fans were baying for blood at that point so I think for the refs they'll be happy to get out of town and to have uh, redeemed themselves in the eyes of the Arrowhead faithful going forward an amazing game uh, definitely go watch this back if you haven't already but the Chiefs now stand easily atop the AFC West hierarchy the Raiders are in a big hole but I think they've shown signs of life over the last couple of weeks that means that when they come back out the bye they should be if they can put it together and get some wins going and be a factor perhaps in the wild card hunt but uh, it's a big hole to get out of but I think we're seeing here the emergence of a new identity a new team under Josh McDaniel so at least that's something to look forward to going forward all right let's go back to the dump off another dump off another week and as we get further into the season we can slowly sort out that some teams are perhaps less worth watching on a week-to-week basis and we'll be showing up here more often but we'll start off with some games that were entertaining but perhaps not as relevant going forward from atlanta tampa bay 15 to 21 Atlanta Surge, who were down by 21 points entering the fourth quarter, was undone on the final drive from Tampa Bay due to an absolute bullshit roughing call. There was no way that should be in roughing. Brady paying off the refs. I don't know what he has on them, but uh, it was bullshit. But anyway, Brady finds uh, yet another way to break the hearts of Atlanta, of Atlanta fans. Obviously, 28 to 3 is a high bar to break, but you know this is certainly adding to the the piece overall it wasn't really the most impressive tampa bay performance there was a lot of check down lenny in this game who had 136 or so yards most of that passing and kind of long systematic drives that got the points but weren't exactly impressing anyone and this is despite the fact that godwin and ivitz were brought back here though maybe both were suffering from injuries uh, during this game although uh, but during the later part of this game where atlanta were getting back in there was a few three and outs and things were looking at interesting but Overall, Tampa Bay probably value for this, but uh, yeah, for Atlanta, Mariota basically really bad as a passer, pretty okay as a runner. Not sure that's sustainable throughout the entire season, but the run game overall 
wasn't quite as good as it was last week and if that's going the offense overall just kind of starts coming a little bit one note of uh, the Tampa Bay defense mostly had this control five sacks eight tackles for a loss uh, so Atlanta it could have been another interesting end to the game for them after having a lot of at least interesting fun games but uh, not to be in this case because of the rest Next up, Seattle and New Orleans, 32-39. Another game where Seattle got involved in an absolute stupid shootout. In this case, New Orleans have Taysom Hill and Kamara in the tank. Taysom Hill, 112 and three touchdowns rushing. That's really good for a tight end, I suppose. And he also passed for 22 yards and a touchdown. He also had 69 kick return yards after their main kick returner got injured in this game. Yes, he could do everything. Sean Payton is rubbing his hands with glee at what he is wroth upon the NFL there. Everyone else is not so impressed. Uh, Kamara had a nice game here, 195 yards, 94 yards, that's probably good to see for the offense overall, but like, this is against the Seattle defense, one of the worst in the league, they allowed over 400 yards here, and outside of one nice interception for Tariq Willen, who does genuinely look like a superstar, this is pretty much a, a bum defense, and to be fair, you know, this is against the New Orleans team that was missing all of their wide receivers, I believe uh, Landry and Thomas were both injured. Uh, before the game uh, and Olave went out during the game with a concussion. Gino thankfully is living up to his end of the bargain and cooking once again 268 yards, three touchdowns, highlighted by two really nice deep touchdowns to Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf got involved as well, 88 yards in the touchdown and the run game was working well with Rashad Penny early on and even when he went out with the injury Walker had a big touchdown as well in the rush game so hopefully they can keep that up and continue to have these kind of fun dumb games. I don't think they're playoff relevant necessarily, although in the NFC you never know, but you know, the New Orleans defense, they stiffened up late, they got the job done alongside Taysom Hill and they'll be happy to go from there. Next up, Houston at Jacksonville, 13-6, a game which theoretically is important because the AFC side's so stupid, but like, look, the AFC side, this was full-on AFC side all the way through. Jacksonville, for the second week in a row, basically blew a game by being shit and making huge mistakes. They had nearly 100 yards, but they only have six points in this game. That tells its own story, but you have Zero out of three in the red zone, two interceptions, uh, uh, a turnover on downs, uh, a, rate, a late roughing flag to allow Houston to extend the drive at a key moment. You know, Houston were just mildly effective. They were fine. Like, Damian Pierce looks like a stud. He was beast-moding throughout this game, breaking tackles. I believe he has the record for the number of uh, uh, broken tackles in the game uh, since uh, that kind of record has been kept in recent years. And, you know, the defense looks opportunistic. Derek Stingley had the, the red zone interception that was key in this game to... Uh, letting Houston win but Davis Mills just looks kind of bad so uh, you know some question marks there for the future Lawrence like look big question marks here big mistakes a lot of this blame has to go on him but after what was a promising start to the season Jacksonville seemed to be reverting to type let's see if they can turn this around although they're not going to get better chances against Houston in terms of winning but I think Houston have a bit of a hoodoo over them so maybe there's an excuse there next up Tennessee at Washington 21-17 a game that's relevant for some reason, uh, Tennessee's defense basically did what just was expected of them once again as they got the key interception on Carson Wentz at the end of this game, despite him having an actually okay game. Diami Brown had two touchdowns in this game that was important to get them back into this game. Overall, their defense actually for Washington looked a little bit better. Five sacks, seven tackles for a loss, so under 300 yards allowed. So, you know, there are embers of reasons to be excited about Washington to some extent, but they just can't get out of their own way. They can't stop making the mistakes. That's just the Carson Wentz type team that they are right now. As for Tennessee, they're kind of almost the opposite. They're just so dull and functional. Like, Henry was good again, 130 yards and two touchdowns. He seems to be running back into form at the moment. Tannehill was solid. Touchdown here, nearly 200 yards. A nice big play to Westbrook Akine and a broken coverage. Like, he didn't do anything good, but he did nothing wrong. And that was sufficient to get them to 3-2. and two. But these tight margins and these slow finishes where they're letting teams get back in, you know, I do feel like they are due losing a few more of these close games going forward. 
Next up in a few blow-offs of important teams, Dallas at the Rams, 22-10. The Dallas defense was the dominant unit here. They had interception, touchdown, two fumbles, five sacks, tickled six tackles for a loss, around 300 yards allowed. Michael Parsons is an absolute menace. He got two more sacks in this game, and they just basically absolutely pummeled uh, Matt Stafford into looking like an old man. Can we also um, notice, like, he, he he did that while like constantly having to readjust himself because he's playing through what looks to be quite a painful groin injury and was still putting up those kind of numbers. He's he's quite the machine, and in a game where you're where Aaron Donald's on the other defense, he still looked like the best defensive player on the field, which is I think very impressive. The rush game also worked 164 four yards and a touchdown, although I think definitely more Pollard would, wouldn't go awry given the difference in explosion level to him and Zeke. Cooper Rush, uh, in the case where Dak might be coming back week, had the you know very grateful and polite low down game. He's, he's obviously undefeated as a backup, but you know only having 102 yards, Dak can go back in and not feel too under pressure there. As for the Rams, they just look bad right now, except for Cooper Cup, who again was a stud. 125 yards to touchdown, but they basically had two big deep plays in this game, and otherwise just looked completely lost. The run game didn't do anything, and while the defense is effective enough, you know, if you can't score more than 20 points, you're not going to win many games in the NFL, so that's going to have to get better, and I'm not sure how they're going to do it, to be honest. They kind of look like a team that's past it. Next up, San Francisco with Carolina, 37-15. Carolina are bad, that's why they fired their head coach, and this was kind of the uh, cherry on top of the uh, of the rule Sunday. Uh, Carr were useless and San Francisco were solid despite all the injuries they picked up. Jimmy G was efficient, Toyo had 52 yards and two touchdowns, Jeff Wilson was effective in the run game, 130 yards and a touchdown, even Tevin Coleman got involved uh, in the passing game from the running back position. And just on the other side, Baker did nothing, 215 yards and an interception, I believe he'll probably be missing some time now with the ankle injury. PJ Walker came on, did nothing for the time he was available, not excited about him being in the starting role. CMC had 100 yards and a touchdown, CMC, but everything else is just bad and this San Francisco defense is one that could be genuinely uh, scary even with the injuries interception six sacks seven times for a loss next up Pittsburgh at Buffalo three to 38 a once proud franchise like Steelers got the absolute ass beat them off beaten off them by the Buffalo team an early blitz from Gabe Davis who had three catches for 171 yards and two touchdowns nearly matching that uh, Randy Moss uh, screenshot from back in the day was kind of the headliner of what was an overwhelming uh, Allen performance of 424 yards four touchdowns and 42 rush he had intercepted as well but we can forgive him that i suppose and the buffalo defense looks like a really game changer unit two turnovers three sacks five tackles for a loss kenny pickett just didn't really have a chance in this game we'll see in future weeks what he's actually like i think it just this game up against a really good defense and not getting any help in the run game and uh, they had 44 yards there and the defense did nothing so you know we'll see about pickett but against this obviously superior team you know didn't really do that much let's say buffalo right now look like a, a you know really dangerous team uh, Pittsburgh a team that needs to find themselves quickly if they're going to have anything this season next up oh the saddest game of the week 0 to 29 win for the New England Patriots over the Detroit Lions Bill Belichick basically stole the mojo from Jared Goff for a second time obviously the most famously uh, losing that Super Bowl to Bill Belichick Jared Goff 236 yards two turnovers that uh, obviously the, uh, that the fumble he had was a touchdown for, for New England and I think that was the might have been like one of the only two touchdowns in the entire game because New England they, they had lots of yards like they had uh, over 200 yards on the ground but they just settled for field goals again and again and you know Zappi ideally in future games be able to turn some of those red zone opportunities into touchdowns but yeah didn't really need it in this game as Detroit were just absolutely hammered. Their their high-scoring offense basically brought low by Bill Belichick's genius. Uh, to be fair, they're missing Swift and Amon Ra was hurt, but yeah, zero points. It's always going to look pretty bad. And finally, uh, what was definitely the worst game of the week: the Thursday oh, night football, so twelve to nine. So bad. Overtime. 
win for Indianapolis somehow. Denver were bad, but they also should have won this game easily. Like They were just incredibly wasteful to an absolutely awful Indianapolis team. Russ threw two interceptions, both of which were idiotic. The first one was just him, oh, just throw the ball in the air, I don't know what I'm doing. And the second one, he just got absolutely out-taught by Stefan Gilmore. You know, one field goal from four red zone trips, like seriously, this is just... And like, idiotic, and then, like, terrible he, he football. He kept missing like open guys en route when throwing them and just throwing them at the wrong people. I think it was at the final play of the game. Like KJ Hamler was completely open at the back, and he was so busy. he was flinging his fucking helmet around after that. Like he was yeah. not happy. Hamler was open on a quick slant, and you know if you're gonna if you're gonna have a slant concept, you probably have to go to that quickly because that's how slants work. And he just didn't look at it and tried to go in a tight window and very appropriate way for Indianapolis to win. Like, look, Indianapolis are terrible. Like, look, they had two interceptions for Ryan. He looked awful. And they just managed to plug away and get, like, four field goals, uh, including the overtime field goal, and get it done. But, like, they are terrible. They've somehow magicked their way over two wins here against AFC West's opponents, but they just don't look good at all. But these, de- I suppose the defenses are good in theory, although I just think both these offenses are awful and both these teams are incredibly awful to watch, and I just yeah. hope that they both either disappear forever or at least find something, because they have enough talent, they have veteran quarterbacks, they should have something, but right now they have nothing. As I said, like, like, this is definitely the most dump-off of dump-off games. It, show, it, show, it shows how bad a game it has to be when both fan bases, you were saying this on the checks, like, where it makes the fan bases reminiscent for Drew Locke and Carson Wentz. That says a huge amount about how unwatchable this is as a product. Like, could you imagine being, like, obviously we've said it a couple of times, the Denver fans who know that they have spent a quarter of a billion dollars on this and that this is the next four or five years of what they've got. And then the poor lad sitting in the booth on Thursday Night Football being like, you know, I'm sure someone in the head office of Amazon is going, we, we paid 13 billion for this. Yeah, like Al Michaels obviously used to the... Uh more sophisticated Sunday night offering. He may need to get used to the more um, more out there Thursday night offerings such as this. Uh, certainly this week, as we'll talk about in a moment, uh, is a good candidate to be on next week's Dunhams. But that's for next week. For now, we can move on to next week's previews. Perfect. So first up, we have Thursday night football. I agree with you. I would I, I would I would hazard a guess that this is going straight in the dump off. Uh, Washington at Chicago. Me and Sean have gone for Washington. Fitz, you have gone for Chicago. Yeah, like Chicago are bad, but the Washington Commanders right now are good at losing. Like they're just good at finding ways to lose games. They have that charging about them, and while Chicago uh, fi- finally found at least something. To say they're fighting and they're trying to win games, I'm mm. willing to give them a chance here to win Thursday Night Football. Both these teams are terrible. This won't be a particularly entertaining game. I'm going to say Wentz makes a huge mistake and allows Chicago to edge a win here with a decent running game. Look, I think Washington have a couple of nice young pieces. They think they should have Dotson back from his injury this week as well. And like, I'll take I'll take the slight little bit of talent over what is essentially 1940s level pass game from Chicago. Next up, Baltimore at the Giants. I was so close to taking the Giants in this one. We've gone for Baltimore across the board here. Look, we kind of talked about the Giants earlier. Are they a a quote-unquote real 4-1 team? Ravens team that have shown themselves to be good offensively, but have very much have the ability to just shit the bed and lose a game that they should be winning. This is a Giants team that's very gritty, happy to come out and kind of push things in the second half. Good at running the ball, like I don't. And their defense did step up in the last one, so like I don't think this is a foregone conclusion. 
as I would have thought if you had asked me this two weeks ago. What do we think? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, firstly, I think there's a really interesting coaching battle going on here. Obviously, Harbaugh hasn't had the best record of late in terms of coaching decisions, but he is he is one of the best coaches in the league when he gets his right. And the other side, we have Giants, Dable. It really is starting to, to come together on the coaching side. They do seem to have a game plan that's going to work out. I think it's going to be a tough game. I mean, I do think the Giants are punching above their weight in terms of their, their talent level, but they do have a game plan, as I said, and they do come out and execute it. And the Ravens, I mean, we've seen them have the potential to fall apart when things start to go badly, um, but we've also seen them be able to grit it out in close games. So it'll be interesting kind of test is which Ravens turn up here. I think the Ravens are obviously the more talented team. They should have enough in terms of Jackson offensively and in terms of the the, the, the improvements that the defense have been making in the last few weeks. That should be enough, but I would not be surprised if the Giants win because We've shown that they are beating the Packers shows that they're capable of beating anybody in this league if they if they get things right and everything falls their way. And certainly the Ravens do look a little bit vulnerable at times. But but I I would think the Ravens the Ravens don't win this game. I would have serious question marks about how competitive they're going to be going down the stretch this season. But I I think they should have enough. And like look, this is this is a revenge game for Don Wake Martindale, obviously let go by Baltimore after being pretty successful there for a while. Uh, now he gets a chance to cook up Lamar Jackson, and we can see what he do. A lot of disguise pressures, a lot of trying to confuse the quarterback, something that Lamar has traditionally not been particularly good against, but we've seen him add that pass game element for most of this season, as well as being obviously the kind of ridiculous freak he is with his legs. I think that for me is the most interesting fight here. Can the Baltimore offense be slowed down? Cincinnati did a decent job of it this week. And I wonder if there's, you know, some people figuring out what was happening in those early weeks. And, you know, the Giants, I think the most points they've allowed is like 23. They are a team that's been able to keep scores relatively low. So if they could do that, that gives Danny Mm. Dines and Saquon Barkley a chance to rack up some points and perhaps sneak a win here. But I think Baltimore overall, because of the talent uh, differential and because of Lamar, have to be given the favourites for now. No, that seems fair. Next up, we have Jacksonville at Indianapolis. Another early candidate for the dub-off, I would imagine. We've gone for Jacksonville across the board here, Sean. We've got one Jacksonville team who I kind of hyped them up and they did look quite good the first few weeks of the season, but the last two weeks have been not great. That loss to the Texans, I mean, it shows that they're a work in progress and that they don't necessarily have everything figured out. On the other side, the Colts are, I mean, they were almost a playoff team last year and they, they looked at that level, but this season they've just looked appalling. Each game appears to be getting worse. It's, it's hard to believe this team beat the Kansas City Chiefs not that long ago. I mean, it really is beggar's belief because this is a team that beaten the Chiefs but has also tied the Texans. It's it's AFC South sadness all around. I'm going to edge the Jags because I think it's a happier universe if the Jags win yeah. because they are a team on the up and they are exciting and, and you know, pieces coming together and I really want... They kind of have that feel-good factor that teams like the Lions and Jets have. You kind of want them to do well, whereas the Colts are just a factory of sadness and they really... They need to be wiped out uh, as soon as possible because there's just nothing good happening there. Yeah. But don't expect to see much of this on red zone. Like Matt Ryan cannot move anymore. Literally cannot move. He has, I think, 10 fumbles on the season as well as a lump of interceptions. Like if you have a particular like vindictive streak against Matt Ryan or you just really love sacks, I would watch this game because I think the Jacksonville defense are going to fucking destroy him. Next up, New England at Cleveland. I'm going out on a limb here and I'm going with New England. <laughs> you guys are going with Cleveland. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Obviously, New England's defense looked incredibly good last week, but their offense is still kind of finding where its, where, where its balance is. Cleveland is... 
good run game, much weaker defense than we were expecting, and Jacoby Brissett under center. So I'm I'm seeing a spot where you can exploit that quarterback position. If someone's going to know how to do it, it's going to be Bill Belichick and be able to build a defense to cause him issues. We saw what happened last week whenever he's able to build a defense to actually, how, how disruptive that can be. Like Detroit, which have been the highest scoring offense in the league, got nothing because they have subpar quarterback play and Bill Belichick can exploit that. And that's what I can see happening in this game, which is why I'm giving them the edge. It is, it's it's a Bill Belichick revenge game as well. And he, he does have kind of a personal stake in, in proving to the Browns that he was the only head, good head coach they ever had and, and all other good Browns teams are just pretenders to that throne. I can de- I definitely see the case in terms of coaching, grinding it out. I mean, this game is again going to be a grinder. It's not going to be the most fantastic game to watch because the, the Pats don't have an awful lot going offensively and rely on defensive grinding. And, and the Browns are, they're weak defensively, but the Pats won't be able to exploit that. Uh, and their their offense is one-dimensional to a certain degree, although Brissett does have moments to it. So it, it'll be a bit of a grinder game. But I, I just think these are the kind of games that the Pats have tended to lose this season, where they're coming up against teams who are marginally more talented, who maybe don't have the obvious flaw of having Jared Goff as, as their quarterback, that will be able to, to kind of find one thing to do and to keep doing it. And eventually the Pats will have to start scoring points. And they're just not, they're just not there yet in terms of the, the offense doing an awful lot in terms of the, the point scoring. But Zappi, he's, he's just a placeholder and he's, he's just not good enough. He's, he's like, if Mac Jones is Tom Brady light, then Bailey Zappi is, is Mac Jones light. And that's getting pretty damn light. Given the current rate of attrition, who the backup is now, given you're probably going to be rolling onto another one. Gilbert, apparently. I don't uh, even know who that is. Apparently, he played a game last season, it would look, because it says he has 194 yards and a quarterback rating of 45.6 from 2021. I actually, I don't remember that game at all. <laughs> so, that's all I need to say. Again, this won't be a game for, for people who enjoy football to watch, but uh, I think the Browns have just enough to win. Next up, San Francisco at Atlanta. We got for San Francisco across the board. Look, we talked about it earlier. San Francisco have a lot of injuries going on across multiple levels of their defense and some offensive starters, but they have started to get a few more pieces going. They started to use Kittle a little bit more. They were getting a lot out of Debo, and in the second half particularly, they actually didn't use him a huge amount in the first half. This Atlanta team is a little bit confusing because like we said it does occasionally flash but isn't consistent and it's the kind of spot where you'd imagine the San Francisco defense to be able to take over you'd feel more comfortable about it if they didn't have the couple of pieces missing that we mentioned but on the balance of things I gotta I gotta side with them to take this even though it's in Atlanta and Atlanta sometimes have given us a lot of promise this season you'd hope that they'd be getting more out of London and stuff this week as well but yeah I think we're all going to side with San Fran in that one next up is Tampa Bay at Pittsburgh we've gone for Tampa Bay across the board Kenny Pickett was asked to throw the ball 50 something times last week and it did not result in the outcome that they wanted Tampa Bay did not look phenomenal either but you know the question is are they back on track the problem at the moment is just i don't know how you could ever i I don't know how you could bank on pittsburgh to score more than 14 or 17 points at the moment until we see it like pickett is better than what was there beforehand but it's not exactly a winning machine and just going by the pure statistics since he's joined there i think they've lost every time tj watts not in the lineup right so we got to just guess that that's going to continue as i said in the the dump off i don't think we can fairly judge kenny pickett fully against that buffalo team they obviously went to a big hole early on it's against a really good defense it's a tough position to be as a you know your first game 
you obviously didn't get all the snaps in preseason because you were sharing time with Mitch Trubisky for whatever reason. And it kind of definitely makes people look even worse that they decided to play Mitch Trubisky for those first few weeks and not give Pickett a chance to play against someone who And now just bring him in when they're going up against yeah. a load of tough defenses. So, look, look, Tampa Bay defense overall has looked pretty good. They did have that one absolutely get absolutely hammered by Pat Mahomes and the KC offense, but, like, you can probably excuse that every once in a while. And so you would imagine that the defense should have an advantage here. Don't think that the run game will probably have much efficacy here. Najee Harris has been very quiet. Um, so if Pittsburgh are to win this game, it will probably have to come down to Kenny Pickett being given a chance and actually balling out a bit. On the other hand, Tampa Bay, like, they've been kind of grinding out wins mostly. The offense still looks a bit pedestrian, a lot of checkdowns. Brady just looks a little bit off, but it did look at least a little bit more efficacious with Mike Evans back in there and Chris Godwin kind of just moving the chains a little bit more often than they were when they were relying on those backups like Cole Beasley coming in. So I think Tampa Bay, they're a better team overall in terms of talent level. They obviously have a quarterback with vastly more experience on the other side and uh, in terms of winning. But, you know, Pittsburgh, they're at home. They have the talent to perhaps turn it around. But yeah, without TJ Watt, the defense is falling apart. Um, so this could be a game that Tampa Bay just grind them down over time and get the job done. Next up, Cincinnati at New Orleans. Uh, Sean, we've gone for Cincinnati across the board, even though we're not sure... Which one? I presume they might actually just go with Hill at this point, given his four-touchdown performance. But can Cincinnati overcome what's been a like a bit of a confusing New Orleans? The problem with Taysom Hill is he's actually not a good quarterback. I mean, anytime he's been put into game as the starting QB, he's he sucked majorly. He's very good as a trick play slash you know impact type player where you can come in certain situations and do certain things but you cannot rely on him otherwise he would be a starting quarterback he's just he's just not there yet i mean yeah it's the question of do you do you want someone who's looks interesting in certain plays but is quite useless otherwise do you want someone who blows hot and cold do you want stupid reliability of andy Dalton? i mean it's just like it's hard to know which which saints team is going to turn up and the problem with that is that that level of consistency is it, you, you can have games like the game we just saw this week where the, everything starts to click and things go well, but you can't get any consistency out of it. And I just don't know the Saints. We've seen them have completely non-existent offensive games this season as well. Um, so it's hard to know which one will turn up versus the Bengals who, you know, they've had a, a poor start to the season, but they've gotten going the last few weeks, unlucky to, to lose to the Ravens or well, they didn't execute or whatever. They, they fell just short against such a good team. Obviously, the uh, can, the Bengals' O-line is a thing to worry about, but I don't know if the Saints really have the d- defensive pieces at the moment to, to really put the kind of pressure on them. So it's it's very hard to see unless the Saints have another Taysom Hill lightning strikes kind of once every year type of, type of game. Unless that happens, it's very hard to see how they're going to keep pace with the Bengals' offense that is starting to click into gear and to get things going, plus the actual Bengals' defense. So that's some good pieces, especially on the secondary end. So I just think the Bengals are a better team. And I, it's hard to see that what the Saints' route to victory is in, in this game. Next up, we have the Jets at Green Bay. Oh, we've both two of us have gone spicy in this one. So I've gone for the Jets, and Sean has gone for the Jets, and Fitz has gone for Green Bay. This is your pick of the week, Sean. Yeah, I, I initially had the Packers to win just by kind of instinct, but then once I was doing actually talking through the the Packers game and the Jets game, there I was just like, you know what? I mean, this is. This is the kind of game the Packers don't like playing. It's a team that's never not going to quit and it's going to keep coming at you. That has some interesting beat that has flaws, but it's nonetheless a fighter team. As I've talked about, that the Packers' soft underbelly, their unwillingness to get into tough games, the fact that they don't seem to have a plan B when plan A goes wrong, and you know Salah is going to be targeting that. You know, we've seen that Jets defense get better and better as each week goes along. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough game. 
And it's going to be hard to see who can Rodgers rely on. Is he starting to, is he going to start to bring Lazard in as a WR1 that he, he needs? Is he going to start to trust his rookie wide receivers a bit more? Are they going to find solutions on, on the running game end of it? Can this defense deal with a Jets offense that is starting to come up with some exciting plays and exciting pieces? So I think it's going to be a tough game. And the more I think about it, the harder it is for me to see what happens if the Packers get behind this game. What happens when the Jets have their patented fourth quarter surge? Are they going to be able to keep pace? Because, because that Packers offense just doesn't have that dy- dynamic uh, elements to it anymore. And that could be a problem. So it's going to be a very interesting game, but I'm, I'm going to go with my heart and I'm going to go with the Jets here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm liking the Jets as well for similar reasons. And the thing of if he doesn't have that much faith in his guys, like I'm liking the Jets cornerbacks. I'm liking Sauce to be able to take away weapons. Like I, I can see the Green Bay route of like, in theory, they should be. <laughs> the the obvious choice, but uh, I just, I'm just liking this spicy Jets team at the moment. Next up, we have Minnesota at Miami. We've gone from Minnesota across the board. Obviously, the big question is who the fuck's going to be the quarterback in Miami? We don't know at the moment. We probably won't know until very close to it. Minnesota, obviously, we've discussed a couple of times as being stronger than they have been in previous years. They really started to get Cook back into going strong last week. Jefferson is just a machine. Their defense has been okay. Like we saw last week, Miami's defense being soft. We saw their offense not being able to get anything done. Unless two is back and like the wide receivers are actually good to go because I think Hill's also got a foot injury at the moment. Like it's hard to see their route to victory here. Although the thing is, this in theory, this was last year, it was exactly the kind of game that Minnesota would drop. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like you can never 100% get on board with Minnesota like, as long as they're Kirk Cousins team. But I am going to give them some respect. They are playing better. I think overall they deserve to be top of the NFC North. Uh, I definitely think they look like a playoff level team. The offensive pieces are there to be a top level offense when they have Justin Jefferson, when they have Dalvin Cook. The secondary pieces when they are required to be involved like KG Osborne and Irv Smith um, have moments where they look okay as well. The defense, while being amazing, has generally been okay. Some concerns there were giving up a bunch of points to Chicago late in the game last week, but overall, hasn't all they've looked okay? So, like I think Minnesota, they've just been more solid, more consistent, and have generally, except in prime time, because I think that's the one last curse that Minnesota are keeping up, the prime time curse. They've looked just like a good team overall. Miami, they're just dealing with so many, and not just in the quarterback position, but also in the secondary, um, on the defense, that they've just started to tail off a little bit, and the margins for error that they mightn't have had because they're a first-year new head coach type of situation. Like It's tough for them. But like, look, they have a lot of talent. They could definitely have a chance here, given what they did early on. But Minnesota right now, look healthy. They look ready to win a game like this. Next up, Arizona at Seattle. Me and Sean have gone for Seattle. And Fitz has gone for Arizona. So just just, yes. just, just looking to tank? Is that, a, is that the, well, the, the dream? Well, I'm um, back in my bullshit, right? Like, I'm like, uh, you know, I can optimize my happiness by, you know, avoiding picking yeah. Seattle and them also losing. Uh, but also, this is just one of those games that belies analysis. Both these teams are just insane and they don't make any sense like Gino Smith's playing really well that doesn't make any sense the defense is the worst in the league that doesn't make any sense Arizona's defense goes between being absolutely terrible and actually okay on a week-to-week basis the offense does exactly the same thing so I have no fucking idea who's going to win this game so I'm picking Arizona because reasons Seattle's offense have been putting up a lot of points yeah their defense has not been good but yeah that's kind of where I am at I don't really care about this game if I'm frank but yeah <laughs> I believe in chaos. Gino that, that's my my call is I believe in you. This is a make-up for me because I haven't, I've been very 
very critical of Gino Zafar. And there was some really, really nice plays, particularly last week. There was one beautiful, I think it was the second touchdown to Lockett. That was that was a that was a top tier throw. I was genuinely very impressed. So I've got to give him give him the nod here because I also I I just don't trust this Arizona team. Next up is my pick of the week. To be fair, we can all chat on this one because it's I'm not just gonna bogart the best game that we've seen in a while. Buffalo, Kansas City. Bit of a surprise here. Me and Sean have gone for Buffalo and Fitz has gone for Casey. It's a hell of a game. I'm amazed that I, I, I don't know if it's just a, a, a restriction at this time that it's not been flexed or if it's just Dallas, Philly, I suppose is decent enough and uh, big, big markets. But yeah, the NFC East cannot be denied. <laughs> the la- la- last time we saw these two teams in this scenario came down to an overtime game after a 13 second comeback to tie it up like it was phenomenal. Both these teams seem to have kind of figured themselves out. Buffalo playing exceptionally well last week. KC really stepped it up, got their run game going. Their defense is looking a lot more impressive than it was beforehand. And Mahomes seemed to have kind of gotten over some of the initial issues he was having, particularly in the Colts game. I'm expecting this to be a very, very good game i i was tempted to take kansas city but if if i if i'm being completely honest with myself looking at this i think buffalo look like the more complete team the chiefs are looking like they're getting up to where they're going to be and they're looking really good at the moment but i still think that there's more space for growth in the in in in, in the Chiefs stuff and buffalo are already hitting at that level so i think they're going to manage the edge a bit because i think things like they're going to be able to shut down the run game a little bit better than like other opponents have for us and then what does that mean for this new look Kansas City offense? Could could work out very well, but yeah, and I, I expect our defense to look good, but there's a lot of weapons and we have we have some holes in our secondary at the moment. I'm hoping McDuffie is back to play, but I don't think he I don't think we've got a designation at this point uh, on whether he's back or not. Chap who had our who had our interception in the game two or three games back the safety, he was getting picked on to fuck last week. Uh, basically when they came out in the second half they realized he was not very good at his job and uh, just started targeting him relentlessly and in the second half he gave up like six catches out of seven targets or something so I would expect Buffalo to be able to exploit those kind of things so I'm expecting a high score unless Buffalo can put the clamps on us and I think there's just so many games where they've not made it that I think this might be their cathartic get over the hump and beat KC now the question is whether or not that'll translate into the playoffs but I, I can see Buffalo taking this win at this stage in this season I mean, this is the thing. It's it's the psychological, as you said, psychological hump that the Bills. This is the this is their Everest, and I mean, this is the best Bills team I think I've seen since since I was seven years old, and they they made a few Super Bowls back to back. It's a really good game. It's it's really weird that they picked all these other games for prime time and not this one. But whatever, uh, we'll get to watch it in in something approaching normal time, which is good. Um, I yeah, I agree with you. I think the Bills are just the more complete team right now. Aside from that one game against the Dolphins where, they, where you know, you can talk about the weather factor get, getting to them or whatever. This was this is a team that looks really good on both sides of the ball. Josh Allen's playing at a really high level. This defense is clicking really good. We saw, as we saw against the Steelers, when they are on form, they are almost unstoppable and they've blown teams away this year. I don't think they're going to blow the Chiefs away, but I just think the Chiefs are not quite the, the finished package. That Colts game showed us that they still got some things to work on. They do have some vulnerabilities. This offense isn't quite, they haven't quite solved the Tyreek Hill problem yet. They've got Juju doing some stuff. They have MBS not doing stuff, and they've got to find a way to make it all work. They're doing more of the ground. It's looking interesting. But as you said, I think the Chiefs are going to look are going to be really good come week 14, week 15, but they're not there yet. Whereas the Bills look ready to go now, and they'll definitely be up for this. So I can see them. I can see them getting the momentum early and then kind of keeping it on going for the entire game. 
obviously Josh Allen and the the offense and Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis obviously had a big game there are, are the the big names and they'll get a lot of the attention pre-game but I do think the actual the biggest one-on-one fight for me is like can Patrick Mahomes be effective against this Buffalo defensive line Von Miller has come on and looked like Basically, Von Miller from five years ago, absolutely wrecking shop. They have really good young players at the defensive end position. Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, and guys like Boogie Basham and Tim Settle are making contributions. Like Ed Oliver should be, it will be back for this game. Daquan Jones has looked solid. But I think then, you know, their, their job will be on them. They will need to get to Patrick Mahomes, speed up his clock and force him to work um, or force him to hand the ball off because their back end is still a little bit vulnerable. I think it's getting covered up right now because the Bills defensive line is pressuring opposing quarterbacks so well. But we saw in that Miami game, for example, that if the quarterback does have time to attack them downfield, that can happen. And now, of course, we don't know how good the Chiefs' deep weapons are now. Obviously, missing Tyreek Hill and they've been a bit more conservative right now. But if that would happen, I would imagine that the, the Chiefs will be looking for that and trying to make those big explosive plays that they've lacked. So it'll be interesting to see how aggressive the Bills get to try and take down uh, Patrick Mahomes or whether they revert to the kind of two-high shell and um, kind of frustrating type of defense that worked against them from the Chargers and the Colts. So I think that's something to keep a really good eye on. Uh, I think Josh Allen, I think he will be able to exploit that Kansas City defense. The Kansas City defense really all based around big plays, like sacks and stuff like that anyway. You know, with the big plays element that we saw last week that I think Buffalo will put up a lot of points. So yeah, I think Kansas City, I just give them a chance here at home in Arrowhead. That's such a big advantage with the noise that they have there and the atmosphere that I give them a chance here. But this is really for me a flip picking game. So I'm going to just give Kansas City the edge here. But it- Next up, we have Carolina at the LA Rams. Oh, Good God, uh, Sean. The real game of the week, yeah. So yeah, we've got the the Panthers who obviously are in a bad way at the moment, lost their head coach and just looking like they're not getting anything done any, anywhere, anyhow. Huge problems at quarterback, not a much excitement throughout the team. And then you've got the Rams who are, you know, reigning champs but not looking like it. They're single-handedly ruining my my fantasy season. It's, it's a game where... The Rams really have to win this, right? They, they now, they're two and three, they're a losing record. The season is starting to slip away from them. They're at home against the Carolina Panthers with the level of talent that they have. And we know that they're championship caliber when things start to click for them. They really have to win this game because the Panthers aren't going to put up much of a threat whatsoever. This is a get right game. This is a way to fix things that are going wrong, to get things clicking again. We know the Rams are kind of a flat track bully anyway. So and these definitely, the Panthers are a team that you can bully. So I, I really hope that the Rams talent is enough here to get going because I just I just can't see where the, where the Panthers are going to to get things going uh, offensively. Yeah, I think the Rams are in a bit of a tail spiral, but this Carolina team, like, yeah, just nothing nothing really going for them. I was very close to taking Carolina in this game actually. Uh, almost almost more tempted now that they've ditched the coach and you <laughs> kind of get your your first shot at it. But yeah, like the Rams at home, they really need to start doing something. Fitz, you've taken Sunday Night Football as your pick of the week. This is Dallas at Philly. It's a big one. There's a possibility that Dak might be back. These are two high-flying teams that, you know, we said we said four weeks ago Dallas were dead. We were very wrong. This is an invasion of the body snatchers. It's not a case where we finally been taken over by the NFL police and made to hype up an NFC East game. It's actually a legitimately high-importance game in the NFC overall standings. Obviously, Dallas now coming off the uh, undefeated run of Cooper Rush and suddenly Dak Prescott 
maybe back for this game and put back in charge of the uh, car that's been kept nice and shiny for him against the undefeated Eagles, who are the hype team of the first quarter of this particular season. So what are we getting from these two teams? Well, from Dallas, we're getting one of the most fearsome defenses in the NFL. Aggressive, big playmaking, obviously headlined by Micah Parsons, absolutely wrecking shop in coverage, but especially uh, getting after the quarterback and just making people's life hell. He's been absolutely on fire, and hopefully the injury that he picked up uh, last week, he'll be able to play through that again and uh, be the headline uh, performer here for them. On the other hand, he'll be going against Jalen Hurts. Obviously, he had a really good start to the season, uh, a threat both with his legs and with the passing game. A.J. Brown has had some big games. You've seen some big games from the other contributors in that offense, including Dallas Goddard. So, you know, they have a lot going there, and even Miles Sanders has actually had a pretty good start to the season um, on a week-to-week basis. So this Philly offense... It's definitely got like a bit of a college feel about it, but at its ultimate level and with a huge amount of talent around that. I think you saw a little bit of a tail off there last week because partially because Jordan Malada, Malada's out there, offensive tackle. Uh, Jason Kelsey's playing a little bit hurt. It'll be interesting to see how much the Dallas defensive line can exploit that. And then if the Dallas defense, defensive line can't get to Jalen Hurts, how much can he pick on those defensive backs? They've shown a capacity to make bigger plays. I think they are improved over the last year, but I do think there's still a little bit of element of no risk it, no biscuit from that from them and they're they can't be beat deep by the guys like aj brown uh especially you know like uh, people like Diggs, for example uh i don't be surprised because of a big player too on the other side you have the dallas offense which of course you know is it that much of a different thing if you have dak prescott in there versus cooper rush i think to a certain extent i don't think it should be i think that should continue to lead on the grunt game i think they should get tony pollard involved more because he's the explosive element of the offense and i think the big thing then is that if Dak's back, maybe they can get that connection going with uh, CD Lamb and get that part going. And Gallup's come back. And while he hasn't been spectacular, I think at least having Gallup and CD has definitely evened out the offense overall and having a little bit more option and not being as easy to uh, predict on a play-to-play basis. On the other hand, you have a Philly defensive unit that's uh, very deep. It's not quite as aggressive and flashy as the Dallas defense, but it's very solid and it works at every single level. They got the veteran cornerbacks, uh, Darius Lay and Bradbury. They got the really deep defensive line rotation. Uh, the linebackers are, are solid and decent, but overall they've done a really good job of getting after opposing quarterbacks, shutting down the run game, and just making the other team work really hard to make those things. So obviously the hype would be for a big high-scoring event, but I think this actually could be a pretty tense uh, kind of 20-ish points each type of scenario. And I think both these teams definitely have a chance, but Philly, they have the higher floor. They don't have the uncertainty around the quarterback position. So right now, as we're speaking early in the week, I think we have to get on the edge, but if Dak comes back and is fully healthy, which is a, another question mark, we saw what happened when Russell Wilson came back too early last time, then uh, I think we, we have to pick Philly for now. But Dallas definitely have a shot. They've earned our respect what they've done with the Cooper Crush era, but Philly will give them a chance here to, to stay undefeated against a big rival. I'd be intrigued to see. I do think Dallas have a good, have, have a team that can challenge them this year, but I, it's the, you know, it's the in-division at Philly kind of thing. It's, yeah, it, it, it's hard to look past them, but given they looked a little bit more vulnerable last week, I will be intrigued to see how it goes. And finally, we have Monday Night Football, Denver at the Chargers in a big AFC West battle that no one cares about hugely. Yeah, so essentially, the risk here is the Chargers shoot themselves in the foot as they tend to do from time to time. This is a Denver team that's a complete mess at the moment, uh, isn't getting any real performance out of their quarterback, have lost pieces on the defense and some pieces of the offense and just, just look kind of lost. The Chargers team on the other side, like, they're maybe not living up to all the hype, but they do, you know, they do put up points. They've got a decent offense. They've got a lot of nice pieces on defense. Like, 
in theory, this is a layup, but the problem is that the Chargers are exactly the kind of team that fuck that up all the time. That being said, we've all gone for the Chargers in this, so uh, let's kind of hope the, that... The, the quicker we can bury Denver in the desert, the, the better. So Chargers, you know, you know, they're kind of dumb, but at least they'll be fun to watch going forward. Denver, I'm, I'm ready to just leave them. Yeah, and not talk about them ever again. Would it not be like, is it, for you, is it not a little bit like watching kind of like an ex being off and like just watching them have a fucking car crash of a relationship afterwards? <laughs> no, I'm very mature. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. So you would anyway, you you would have been with I'm, the guys booing him at the clink there, or whatever, or whatever it's called I'm these too, days. I'm too busy hanging out with the new hot chick, Connor. Oh, Gino yeah. Smith keeps Gino, me Gino warm and nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good is there any plans for the rest of the week yourself not too much I think there's a plan for uh, myself and Sean and uh, Marcus to meet up for a big day of sport this Sunday mm. oh uh, we're going to get cap- to watch the, the Bills and Chiefs yeah there's some good soccer games on earlier that day including Liverpool Man City so hopefully we'll get and I think, Sean, we've lost Sean temporarily because of the dog. We have, so yeah, we'll see. The, the dog emergency has struck, so we may not have him for the end of this. <laughs> I imagine that's what's keeping him busy this week. Mm. So I would, um, I, would, I would hazard a guess, yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, besides that, uh, nothing, too, nothing too exciting. No, it's a similar going camping for a bit and then going to watch a bit of football on Sunday and should be should be lovely. Very, very exciting times. But yeah, nothing else too, too wild or strange. Got a week off from work, so just trying to relax and kind of, you know... De- de-stress myself before having to go back in and hit the, the end of the year rush so uh so that'll be that'll be fun i suppose uh, that, that'll wrap us up won't it so uh bye from myself bye from fitz bye bye from sean Woof. <laughs> 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 this has been all four quarters thanks for listening we'll chat to you next